Mike Bloomberg declares Donald Trump the real winner of the latest DNC debate, and Bernie Sanders looks like a clear favorite as the Democrat nominee. We get into some of why his ideas are not so great. I'm Chandler. This is the Matt and Chan Show. Welcome back. This is the Matt and Chan Show. Yeah, we are back, or I'm back. Uh, you guys had Matt and Sean last week, uh, so it's good to be back on the show. Yes, welcome back, Chan, the master of the Matt and Chan Show. <laughs> oh, hardly. Um, you were at the Model UN uh, last week, and uh, you had a birthday. So how was all that? Oh, it was good. Um, I had a good time in Boston. It was a cool experience. I look forward to going next year already. Just so many people... And it was just a great opportunity for the people on my committee and just the people I came with. Wow, I was just surprised. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, so you want to just really quickly run down uh, what you guys did? And I heard that uh, you won. Yeah, so we, we won in passing our resolution. So cool. you go to Model United Nation, you got 60 plus countries represented at this conference. Um, you have 2,000 college students. And you come together and you're in, you're in different committees. We had like a legal committee, an economic committee, and we were in the World Health Organization committee. And so we're passing measures to help like spread health um, awareness and solving disparities. And we pretty much come in and try to get resolutions passed. So we represented Jamaica, as I've said in the last two episodes, and we came in and we got a resolution passed. We had um, the idea of implementing doctors into rural communities and being able to provide healthcare and th the other necessities in these areas. So it was cool. We, that was what, what we uh, went there to do. We got it in our final resolution and we were able to get it passed. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, that's exciting. Some uh, practical um, application of different political skills and yeah, it sounds like a, a really great networking uh, time as well. Yeah, I just like so many people. I'm just giving a shout out to like my man Robert from Boston, giving a shout out when he listens to the show, um, and just some other great people that I met along the way. Uh, it's just people that I'm never going to forget, and the people that I get to see next year as well. I know I'm looking at getting ready for next year already. Like, how can we organize better and just come back stronger than ever next year? Yeah, I know that's uh, sounds like yeah, really, really great experience. So, Chan, um, you had a race last weekend, correct? Um, yeah, the weekend before last. Weekend before. So, how'd that go? Yeah, I got the win. It was a community-type race, so there wasn't a ton of competition, but uh, still really great. First win in about three years. Uh, so, you know, for what it's worth, that was really exciting. Got another race uh, tomorrow at the FPU Sunbird Invitational. Um, I'm running the 3,000 meters there. I know you are throwing some heavy things tomorrow as well. Yep. Discus, shot put, hammer, everything. So it's going to be a good time. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. So uh, Chan, I know you're running the Sunbird meet tomorrow, but you're no longer part of the Sunbird program. So how do you feel about competing against the team? You know, the the guys on the FPU team, still my brothers, even though we don't uh, train together anymore and I won't be wearing the same jersey, still... Um, Love those guys and looking forward to running with them again. And um, yeah, kind of just had to go a different direction with my athletic career. But that's uh, the nature of college athletics a lot of the time. And yeah, I'm looking forward to this next chapter in my life. And yeah, it'll be fun to 
to uh, do it at the home track. Yeah, it's going to be so fun. I can't wait to see you race tomorrow. Um, it'll be cool. You won't be in the FPU uniform, but you'll be, you're a sunbird at heart. And I know that always. Yes. So, and it's good that you're healthy again and you're racing again and you're doing what you love. So yeah, really appreciate that, Matt. Good luck, Shan. You're going to do good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you want to jump into the Democrat debate? Yeah, let's jump into it. I know we have some sound clips loaded up as well. Some, some shots at Bloomberg right off the bat. Yeah. First debate for him. Right. And, um, you could definitely say that he bought his way into this debate. Uh, he's been running nearly constant ads just about everywhere you look. Somebody or, or, or some platform has a Mike Bloomberg ad. And um, it's kind of funny that the party of equality and for the masses and um, looking out for low income people and tax the rich has a billionaire running as one of the primary uh, candidates in, in these primaries. Well, both of them are million and billionaire. So it cracks me up. I think Buttigieg is the only one. And he actually says that in the, the debate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I know it was really funny. I was listening to some sound clips on the Ben Shapiro show. And uh, I guess somebody, it might've been Bloomberg who questioned Bernie about his three houses that he owns and, you know, Bernie's like, oh, yeah, I have one house in New York and another house in Vermont. And like many people, I have a house, a lake house in the woods or something like that. And it was um, like, yeah, every normal American has three houses. Yes. Uh, I, it just surprises me. This party just cracks me up. We need to tax the rich. We need to go after them. And they are the rich. And they use the same tax loopholes that they argue to get rid of. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, it just shows the hypocrisy of the elitists on the left. And I think it's sad that a lot of people think they're really um, looking out for their interest. You know, if, you know, say we have a lot of low income people in the Fresno community and who are supporting Bernie Sanders, if they understood how wealthy he was and how, um, you know, he wasn't doing anything with that wealth, uh, say, to create jobs. You know, he's not investing it back into the community. Um, maybe they would be a little less likely, less inclined to support his policies. Yeah, and it's it's crazy because, like you were saying, the three houses, the the spending that he does on his campaign. And I just got to pick something out. Before we go into his policies and stuff, I just think it's funny. This man supports the Green New Deal, and he wants to um, have 100% uh, renewable energy. But yet this man spent $1.2 million um, in the last quarter on jet fuel. <laughs> so, and that was the last, yeah. So that's just the crazy, the last three months. And it's just like, wow. And that's the Apollo jets. And he's over here fighting that we need not to be using jets and fuel and just go all renewable. But he's over here um, with the hypocrisy of spending so much money on things he's fighting against. Right. Yeah. So. Because in a, a socialist or communist society, everybody gets the same amount of things and the people in charge get a little more for organizing it all. Right. Yeah. And, they get and, the and, little extra uh, until there's a, a very vast uh, disparity between rich and poor. Only now it's not people who have created wealth and created jobs as you would have in a uh, capitalist society that would create that disparity. But now in a, a socialist or communist 
country. It's the people who are redistributing wealth who are creating that disparity themselves and are the ones rising to the top. And um, I'm sorry, that's an immoral uh, economic system. Yeah, and you're looking at it and all these people have gotten rich off being lifetime politicians and finding uh, tax loopholes in our system. And we are in a capitalist system. It's a good thing. You can become very rich in this country. But the fact that you're arguing for socialist principles and supporting things such as the Green New Deal, which is a total is gonna would be a total flop. It would turn the United States economically in ten years, and it wouldn't even look the same. Yep. You're looking at Elizabeth Warren as well spending. This is more money. This is the the total money that they spent on uh, private jet fuel. Elizabeth Warren seven hundred twenty thousand dollars supports New Green Deal. You have Buttigieg three hundred twenty three thousand, and then Mike Bloomberg has spent two hundred million dollars in his campaign pushing these ads and buying himself into the the election. Yeah. Uh, real quick for our listeners, do you want to give the source for, for those? Do you still have that? Um, up? That was Free Beacon for the statistics on um, the fuel. And then uh, and then NPR put out an article today um, listing how much Bloomberg has spent, which he spent $450 million on ads since launching his campaign. I know he wants to, I think it's, they want him, he wants to spend $1 billion on, on a uh, campaign. Um, Wow, it's just that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. I don't think we have a good idea of how much one billion dollars is. It's uh, just an insane amount of money, and he's earned that money. You know, he uh, he's the only person on that stage, I'm pretty sure, who has run a successful business, and uh, he's well known for paying his employees very well. And you know, he he's a good business person. I'm not saying that I agree with any of his policies, but uh, he's earned that money versus somebody like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, who have just been, you know, sucking at the government teat for the majority of their lives. That's, you know, I'm not going to say it's um, corruptly earned money, but it's certainly not the same as if you had your own business. Mm-hmm. And just looking besides campaign spending, we're going to probably dig into, not, not probably, we are going to dig into some of Bernie's policies that people are supporting. I know people are supporting Bernie because they like Bernie. They just like he comes out and he's a billionaire. He's very, very flashy in the way he says things and people just, oh man, Bernie, feel the burn. Um, it's it's like a, a, a trend that we've seen here in California, right. especially in Boston. I saw it big. I saw Bernie in the windows when I was walking down the streets. He's getting a lot of uh, ground here in the U.S. It's just crazy how much like ground he's made up in like the past six months. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, there's a, a weird social movement behind him. And I think Andrew Yang had a little bit of a taste of what uh, the Bernie movement is like. And um, frankly, I, I like Andrew Yang's policies a lot more. I am kind of disappointed he had to drop out. He just didn't have the the significance of following but Mm -hmm. um there's something to and we saw this with uh barack obama with like hope and change uh saw this with donald trump even with make america great again when you have some sort of spiritual movement to get behind and ultimately that's what this is this is a you know he's looking to rekindle well trump was looking to rekindle the american spirit and i would say that obama probably was too I don't know what kind of spirit Bernie Sanders is trying to bring up in uh, the American people, some sort of uh, deep-seated hatred for 
the wealthy is what it appears to be, um, which is effective uh, because people don't like um, having less than other people, which is, uh, yeah, that's uh, um, the one of the Ten Commandments is not to covet your neighbor's goods. And that's essentially what the essence of socialism is. And uh, yeah, that's it, it's a immoral spiritual movement. Yeah, and the thing is about the capitalist system, of course, is you're going to have your rich um, at the top if you work hard and you get there. And there's always going to be people that fall into the lower class, um, especially like in the capitalist system. That's why a lot of people always feel they get uh, like jabbed from the capitalist system. And that's why I think socialism has these very bright ideas and very like idealistic ideas about, hey, like we could all be equal. And it sounds really good on paper. Right. But history just hasn't been really nice to socialism, as you've seen. So and you could list different examples. You look at the USSR um, and just the amount of people that died. And you just look across history and see how many people have died from socialism and the leaders just taking all the money from the top. Like, yeah, it's it's really sad. And I feel like that's a big thing that we're missing in our education system today. I think when you have these idealistic ideas, people think, okay, yeah, this, could, this might work here. But ultimately, in the long run, we just wouldn't be able to sustain those policies in the United States. Yeah, exactly. And, and I don't think there's been a country that has sustained those policies. Um, and I know we want to get to the debate, and you said you have some sound clips. But uh, real quick, I just want to touch on you know Bernie Sanders and some of the other uh, neo-American socialists will refer to, oh, look at the Scandinavian countries as an example of socialism working. The leaders of those countries will be the first to say that those are not socialist countries. They're capitalist countries with a lot of social programs that they can get away with because they have a very homogenous population, not necessarily uh, just racially, but in terms of ideas. They have cultures that have been around for a lot longer than America. They're not melting pots of ideas in the same way as America is, and they can get away with those social programs. But their social programs run on the, um, the backbone of a strong capitalist society. So when you hear Bernie Sanders say, oh, we want to have a, you know, the, what the Scandinavian countries have, that was a terrible impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had way better. Um, I'm a little tired uh, this afternoon, this evening. But um, yeah, the, you really need to look at um, what is supporting those countries. And it absolutely is a capitalist backbone. So, um, yeah. So we're going to move on and get into some of uh, Bernie Sanders, like his support. But actually, before that, let's get into some of the clips from the debate before we close on that segment. Man, so they went after Bloomberg in this debate. He's new to the debate stage. He bought his way in. I don't even know the exact reasoning before. Like, I know his support went up, so that, that gave him the opportunity to be in this debate this time. And they were very quick. And there was no hesitation from the left to go, okay, we have another rich person try it. But again, they all have money, so <laughs> that, that cracks me up. So um, let's load up sound clip number one. This should be, yep, live from the Democratic debate, NBC News. Here we go. 
I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. I actually welcomed Mayor Bloomberg to the stage. I thought that he shouldn't be hiding behind his TV ads. I don't think you look at Donald Trump and say, we need someone richer in the White House. Let's put forward somebody who actually lives and works in a middle-class neighborhood in an industrial Midwestern city. Let's put forward somebody who's actually a Democrat. What are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, man. Those are uh, pretty funny attacks. And it's also interesting the things that they, uh, they went to. You know, they went after him being rich. <laughs> they went after him being um, a businessman, um, after him having, you know, uh, less of a, a leftist background, like, you know, that's kind of your uh, JFK type Democrat is what Bloomberg is coming across as. Um, and yeah, it, it's, I find it very funny, the attacks that they made on him. Yeah. And it's funny cause they, they go after his personal attributes, but never really dive into the Bloomberg campaign at all. They just want to make big like noise and be able to get cheers and okay, like, how can we build support? Oh, it's another billionaire. Right. And I think, you know, he has a lot of good position to be able to say that, uh, look, the American people are going to, um, you know, if, if they elected Donald Trump the first time, he's a, a business person. I'm a business person. I have, like, the best shot at competing for a lot of the, the voters who voted for Trump, um, in 2016, I, I think he has a, a good play to make there if he wants to, um, that none of them can. They're all establishment Democrats. Yeah, and, and just the way that he just kind of bought his way into the campaign is going to be the big one, the big talking point you're going to be hearing. And let's move past what you have to do to get into a campaign, and let's actually talk about ideas, because you can come out and you can have these big talking points, but... Americans don't care about Bloomberg buying his way into the campaign, if I'm being brutally honest. People want results, and the economy is always the biggest way to get support. And they always say, what is it? It's the economy, stupid. <laughs> so um, that's, that's one of those things that when we're looking at America and the support for Donald Trump, wages are going up. Unemployment is down. People are getting like behind Donald Trump. You see these rallies are selling out. People are going to these rallies each and every week. And people are like, no, Trump, nobody's supporting Trump. Um, this is these Democrats. I didn't even know the debate was on last week. It was just on an odd day. And I was just like, oh, that's on tonight. And then you tune in and it's just a whole bunch of people bickering and never really getting to the issues and just trying to call each other out. And there's no unity there. There's no platform. And it's just all over the place. And and it's just they don't really have a candidate. I think Bernie Sanders has a good shot at being their candidate. Biden was supposed to be the favorite. Um, Sanders is making moves all across the board. Um, Real clear politics outlies him um, leading a lot of the polls as well as Biden. But as we've seen from the fake news media um, outlets, that that can't be really true because Hillary was supposed to win our last election if we were going based off those polls. So it's interesting. Uh, people are rallying behind Sanders. Biden, he's losing support massively. And now he is still trying to, even in this debate, he was still trying to feel, um, not feel, but uh, just kind of ride off the coattails of Obama. 
And and it's funny because they attack Trump for all these policies, but then they're quick to take credit for this economic success. Mm-hmm. This this past week they go, oh Obama, this is this. So now they they have run out of cases against Trump's policies. So now they're like, oh no, this was Obama. So and and everybody goes back to how big the growth was under Obama, but it looks at look at where it started though. We were in a terrible economic place, and he had to come in, and there was going to be a boom just based on that because we needed to bring jobs back. So, right. Yeah. So I just that was a little tangent. Um, I just think it's interesting how each and every week there's some new stuff about the Democrats, and really it's just more insults than policy. And like me and Chan are going to go into. Bernie Sanders campaign. We're going to go to his website, berniesanders.com. And we're really just going to piece or like pick apart each of the, the different things on his site and see, okay, let's see like, what are, what's the true support behind these? And like, what are these really possible? Yeah. You want to jump right into that? Yeah, let's get into it. So um, we're going on here. So one that sticks out that everybody's been talking about is Medicare for all. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, this is the um, surprisingly popular uh, healthcare plan that Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, I'm sure several of the other candidates are, are pushing for. But um, yeah, we're here at berniesanders.com slash issues. Um, and this is the, his second point is Medicare for all. Um, yeah. And if you're listening right now, pull out a laptop, pull out a phone. You can go to the website. We're not lying to you. You can go on there and you can look at all the things that he supports. And I think people will support a candidate sometimes before they even hear the issues just because they talk cool or look cool. Like, And we're here to bring, I think part of this podcast is about educating our fellow peers and allowing them to choose for themselves. But really, you got to look at the policies and we're really going to get into it right now. Um, so Medicare for all. Chan, what are your thoughts? Um, it's a terrible idea. Uh, so I, I think... This is pretty obvious to anybody who understands economics at even the most basic level. So what Medicare for All essentially is doing is it's um, uh, nationalizing the healthcare industry. It's going to make every healthcare provider essentially a government employee by, um, you know, all, all payments going to come from the government. And lest you forget, if the government's paying for it, it's our tax money that's going towards it. Um, so this isn't free uh, health care. I would like to, like his uh, first point under Medicare for all is create a Medicare for all single payer national health insurance program to provide everyone in America with comprehensive health care coverage free at the point of service. The very first thing that you learn in a microeconomics class is that there is no such thing as a free lunch. There's certainly no such thing as a free visit to the doctor. Um, unless the doctor wants to volunteer their time, but then the cost is, is at the, um, the doctor. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very bad idea. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the podcast, like what we think would be a good solution to the, um, lack of affordable and accessible healthcare in the United States. And, and I think there is some good cases to be made, um, for, uh, government mandating that, all prices should be uh, published. And so you should be able to see how much the services are going to cost at a certain hospital or healthcare facility. And I really like that option because um, it allows for 
capitalism to work and it allows for the free market to choose the price that is best fit for um, the goods provided. Does that mean that some people won't be able to afford the very best care? Yes. But at the same time, would you rather have only mediocre care? Um, and, you know, say you have uh, like a terminal brain cancer and you uh, can't get the very best treatment available because all that's available is what the government's willing to pay for. Or if you have the means to pay for it, would you like to, you know, try the, um, the novel treatment that hasn't been proven to work or not yet costs a lot of money, but, um, because of medical innovation is available for the right cost. Um, I'd way rather live in the society where you have the option to choose mm -hmm. where, um, and what medical services you're getting. Yeah. And I, just looking at the overall scheme and like how much this project would cost, would roughly come around $34 trillion. This is the Atlantic um, article that we pulled up. And pretty much to give you an, a picture of this, this would be more than the federal government's total costs over the coming decade for Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid combined. So this would be a lot of money for healthcare, and there's a lot of other things we would have to cut, including our, probably our defense, defense spending, since that's a big majority of what the United States spends money on. And that just leaves us vulnerable to many other issues um, in other countries. Because when you got so many people that live in the United States, I think it's like 330 million people that live in the U.S. That is a lot of people that you got to cover and the cost. And you have to look at And healthcare is an important issue, but we have to make sure we look at other issues as well that we're putting money toward and what our tax dollars are going for and what's sustainable in the long run. So that 34 trillions over the next 10 years, uh, and then you look at stuff like the Green New Deal. Thing is, you look at the Green New Deal, you're cutting pretty much our number one thing, oil. And that is, we are now the number one independent um, producer of oil in the world. And if you cut that away, you're losing a lot of money. So how are you supposed to fund a program that's going to cost $34 trillion over the first 10 years? And how you're supposed to look past that 10 years? Because we have to have a future. So um, when you're looking at it, there's not really a viable option, at least for the United States, to cover that many people and have it all covered and make it efficient because there would have to be a lot of number crunching and a lot of things to make sure that it works. Right. Yeah. And and briefly on the Green New Deal, which is his third point, um, you know, it's been covered ad nauseum by other conservative um, uh, commentators because when it was first put forth in the House by AOC and her ilk, um, it was... Um, obviously stupid it um uh yeah was put up for a vote and everybody just voted present essentially um or no um and yeah it's it's not a good idea it's not going to actually benefit uh the world that we live in which is um i think that's that is a conservative talking point to care for our planet and to ensure that there will be natural resources available to future generations. This isn't the way to um, to make that happen. Yeah, you're you're literally uh, just just losing so much. Um, the economics here in the United States, we are so dependent on oil. How do you find ways to fund all these programs? And as we've seen, like Venezuela, they were one of the top oil producers in the world. And then they started nationalizing a lot of their government, and then they took a tank. So it's 
It's literally now their money is worth nothing. Their boulevards are worth 5,000 boulevards is like half a penny here in the United States. Like it's worth nothing. Right. And people are starving and people are hungry and people think Bernie Sanders, he's <laughs> the answer for America right now. And it's the complete opposite. You don't have to like Donald Trump. You don't have to like his personality or what he's done in his, in his past. Cause those things they're um, they're just things that happened and they weren't good. But ultimately Trump has actually been more conservative than I thought he was going to be. We thought he was going to come in with more of a populist view and different things, but he's been a lot more conservative than most people thought. And it's working because he's coming at it with a business approach as me and Chan have talked about many times. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, another thing that Bernie Sanders is talking about, and this is something that Trump's been pretty good on is um, border security and um, creating infrastructure along the border to, uh, you know, ensure that those who are coming into our country are vetted properly and are here um, under, you know, the knowledge of the United States. Bernie is looking to uh, break up ICE and the um, Customs and Border uh, Patrol. Terrible idea. It's um, you can't offer all these social services and say anybody who wants to come is allowed to come. It's uh, it's just not a good idea. I know we have to uh, go to a quick break shortly here. Do you have any closing thoughts before we do? Um, I think it's just looking at what Bernie stands for and looking at traditional American values and what has made America successful. We cannot go into um, a socialist state. It would just be the downfall of America. And I think we see a reemergence and uh, of an American identity that's that is built in capitalism and free market and freedom and and it's just great to see what's happening. But we'll be right back. This is the Matt and Chan show. All right, welcome back. This is Closing Corner, the Matt and Chan show. You know it. Uh before we get into kind of the meat segment at the very end of this, do you want to touch on some pigeons? Yes, I want to get into that so much. So Nevada caucus this week, so a lot of excitement building up there. So there's this new thing, and I've actually seen this in different cities. I don't know. Um, my dad talked to about it with me some time back. I think this is great. So this guy went around and started putting baby little Trump hats on pigeons and i guess it's like a group um they call it putin and it means pigeons united to interfere now just kind of a play <laughs> off the russian collusion um and it's just kind of fun they support trump and they just were protesting the democrat debate and so if you're in la not la but las vegas this week you'll see pigeons but you might see some walking around a little bit more proud than usual they got a little red hat i know one has a little like toupee little trump hair like you know I'm not going to lie, love Donald Trump. The pigeon was definitely pulling off the toupee better than he does. Oh, yeah. So if you guys get a chance, um, go to ABC News. Um, give them a plug on that just because they have the video on there. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't know how good that is for the pigeon. I don't want to say, yeah, we support like animal cruelty in that. But I just <laughs> right. think it's it's kind of odd and it's kind of funny. A lot of they have some interviews on the website that they go in and they're like, people just generally are like, whoa, because there's no law about um, gluing hats onto pigeons. <laughs> so in the long-term effects, so I would think they would come off at some point. I would think so too. Yeah. You know, and it's Las Vegas. It's staying in Vegas. 
Yeah, and I just think it's funny. Yeah, I know that's a good good one right there, Chan. That's a, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so um, yeah, it's just interesting. Uh, just a little like side note on the Trump Trump stuff. I just think it's funny. We can go in politics all day, but it's just fun to see stuff like this um, out there. You just never know. Uh, politics is uh, very interesting now. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, so <laughs> for our. Um, our, our kind of closing corner uh, meat segment here, we're going to be talking about the importance of um, conservative media and in particular um, PragerU. So you might pass me the aux cord real quick. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to get this uh, a live quick um, yeah. audio hooked up real quick. Um, yeah, this is going to be a clip uh, about talking about PragerU and conservative media as Chan just touched on. Um, yeah. Tell me when you get that loaded up. Yep. So um, it's all loaded up. You can go ahead and go to the volume. Yeah, so right. hit it. Yep, so this is a clip from uh, Samantha B. One growing conservative outlet is using colorful graphics and social media to appeal to a new generation. But don't worry, their videos are very normal. Murder. Is murder wrong? Is it evil? How do you know? Liberals, the research tells us, are generally more outgoing, more likely to try new stuff. They're open to new ideas, though not school choice or flat taxes or a market-based healthcare reform. I want fairness generally means, look at me, I'm a nice person. The left is destroying the Boy Scouts. The power of the visual to excite men has no analog in women. Oh, honey, no, that's not women. That's just you. All right, so, you know, they pulled a bunch of clips out of context from PragerU's five-minute videos. They were making fun of how um, they call themselves a university, even though obviously they're not an accredited university. It's just a bunch of YouTube videos. Um, and, you know, the left is afraid of well-done conservative media like PragerU. Uh, I know right after uh, we started this podcast, I had the privilege of getting to meet Dennis Prager and listen to him speak in Visalia. It was an incredible privilege. And they really do a great job in terms of informing people, especially young people. Uh, they're the number one uh, listened to and watched conservative media outlet um, in a in a particular demographic. I think it's under 30. Um, and yeah, they do a very good job with outreach to young people. Uh, Matt, you've probably watched some PragerU videos and yeah. with them. Yeah, and just being able to have conservative content when a lot of the media is uh, misinterpreted like, and a lot of it's skewed, of course. Everybody's going to have a bias. That's just inherent. Um, and just looking at just having another alternative to um, in another viewpoint than just the far left media likes to promote. Right, and it's pretty crazy that what the left wants and what Samantha B was calling for in uh, that segment – was really for any idea that is anywhere to the right of their agenda. I'm not even saying like full-blown conservative ideas, just less le extreme to the left as uh, what she's calling for. Uh, she wants that kind of speech banned. And I'm sorry, but there's nobody on the right politically, or at least uh, nobody of any significance who's calling for the silencing of left-leaning speech. Like, I fully support Samantha Bee's right to be able to trash PragerU. Um, 
just like I support PragerU's right to be able to put out great content uh, that has a conservative agenda. Yeah, and and um, I have a quote here from um, Brent Bozell. Um, he's the president of uh, Media Research Center. Um, yeah, I just pulled up the Free Speech Alliance, um, and they're there to help protect free speech. And I think his quote um, just hits on this topic. He says, voices are being silenced, opinions are being censored, and conservative media are being suppressed. These tech companies claim to provide platforms to connect people and share ideas. However, when the only ideas permitted are from one side, any prospect of intellectual discourse dies. If these platforms merely serve as an echo chamber of liberal talking points, everyone loses. Yeah, that's spot on. And, uh, you know, I think if you're taking the time to listen to our podcast, you should also spend some time listening to opposing ideas and ideas on the left. Uh, we fully support free speech and the importance of open dialogue, uh, as that quote implies. Uh, so yeah, it, it's really sad to see the left attacking free speech, but I think it's really great to see how effective PragerU has been uh, because the left is needing to attack them. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast is to educate people about conservative ideas and to be another media outlet for, um, yeah, conservative principles and ideas. Yeah, and I just think um, in our show, we are open to different opinions, and I want to make sure we emphasize that. Um, if you have a different opinion and you want to get your voice heard, um, it doesn't matter if you're left, right, in the middle, whatever, we invite you to come on the show or call into the show. We're going to be having some open line stuff here in the near future, um, but if you like, want to reach us um, personally, just again, we have the email mattandchanshow@gmail.com, and then you can reach out to us personally through social media and other outlets. We're on Facebook, um, working on Instagram, and soon um, other stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna open that up. Just a little little promo for some of that stuff. Um, I know we have some people lined up the next month. It's gonna be really good. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to reiterate that point, if you do come on the show and you don't share our, our ideas, it's not gonna be a bunch of gotcha segments where we attack you and it'll be a, a civil dialogue and uh, hopefully a very productive conversation for both sides to be expressed. Yeah. Cause the fact that Samantha B is coming out here and attacking prayer, you saying that these ideas are dangerous, but we could equally say that about the other side. Um, and just being able to, I think, have that conversation. We are so uh, polarized um, as a country right now. It's one side or the other. Um, yeah. I just think, we just have to be able to come to a consensus um, and be able to just just have the ability. That's what this country was founded on. Just the even the, this the freedom of speech and ideas and um, just just those basic principles. Like, come on, fully support it. Yeah, that's the plug on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think on that note, we should uh, wrap things up. It's kind of late. I think I don't think we brought the same energy we would in a morning. Maybe you brought a little more. I brought a little less. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, I know. There's just a lot of stuff going on in the news. We try our best to dissect what we feel is important. Um, if you have any other ideas, um, let us know on Facebook, especially. We'll have comments after we post this episode. We like to hear the feedback. What are some things that we like to improve on? We like honest, brutal, um, and uh, truthful feedback because that's the only way we get better on this show. Um, I think that's just the best way. 
um, in order for us to reach our full potential. Absolutely. So awesome. Um, yeah. Anything else, Chan, to, to close out? Oh man, I think that's it. Um, I'm looking forward to another great week. It's been a quiet news cycle. Honestly, I, I kind of prefer that. It gives us less to talk about, but um, it's also probably better for the health of our nation. Hey, so we got the Nevada caucus this weekend. So that's tomorrow. Um, Bernie, of course, a clear favorite right now. We'll have some more stuff to talk about next week. Um, but yeah, till next time, um, if you want to binge watch us or actually not binge watch, but binge listen to us, um, check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts and other platforms like Anchor and just help us help us um, through listening. Um, that's that's how we build our base and how we build listeners and support. So thank you guys for listening. This is the Matt and Chan show.